Generally speaking, about the church, podcast number 80. That's right, baby. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the About the Church podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. My name is DG. We're here to talk all things faith-related. Yeah, yeah. This is good. Anything you want to talk about, we're ready, we're willing. In fact, we'll take your live calls even if you wanted to call in. Yeah. And uh, DG and I have some, some show notes prepared for us but i tell you what we're gonna do things out of order because i forgot to tweet that we were we were live so oh, yes you need to tweet that i'm gonna tweet that while ask, we listen to rick from wisconsin and ask everybody in the chat room to tweet that too that'd be great yeah that'd be great so tell people we're here at gspn.tv slash live every tuesday morning at 10 a.m yeah, eastern so if you, time if you're just listening to this as a podcast we'd love to have you yes come join us call us live even all right so here's a here's a call from rick for it's two minutes and 45 seconds plenty of time for me to tweet that's right. Hey, this is Rick from Wisconsin calling for the About the Church podcast, and I want to hear that interview. Uh, I think uh, that would be great. I I read an article, I think in Newsweek, uh, about this book and uh, the author, whose you? name I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name either. But um, I, if I remember correctly, he, he it may have been an interview type article, and I I think he said that even though he didn't uh, agree with the the beliefs of Liberty University, he like respected the the people who had those beliefs uh, in a different way after being there. And I think if I remember right, you know, he he at one point kind of felt guilty about you know kind of being undercover and like he was deceiving all these people, um, but. Uh, if I remember right, too, most of the people he was friends with um, seemed to forgive him for the deception and, and be understanding of what he was doing. Um, and while we're on the topic of, of people who do something maybe just in order to write a book, and I, I won't ascribe these intentions to these people. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but I saw a speaker at a men's conference I went to at a, at a big church near Milwaukee, and uh, they, the book, I think, I think their website is um, Under the Overpass. I, I think that's the right name of it. I, I think it's a .com. And um, what they did was they were college students at a Christian school who uh, had a burden to understand the, the life of, of the homeless people, so they intentionally became homeless for, I think it was three months during the, the summer between school semesters, and uh, they lived in, they went and stayed in like five or six major cities for two or three weeks in each city, and kind of tested the, the, the Christian community as far as like sleeping on the lawns of churches to see what reaction they'd get in the morning, <laughs> and um, they they had a lot of experiences, and uh, honestly, I was moved to tears uh, several times hearing the descriptions of, of some of their experiences, uh, but I haven't bought the book, and I haven't uh, really explored the website uh, to see what they're all about, but they, they say they want to help homeless people, and they want to give people uh, more understanding about you know, what it's like to live that way, so that might be something else you want to explore for a future topic. Thanks.
All righty. Well, interesting stuff. Thank you for the feedback. And I had not heard about under the overpass. Yeah, and dot com works. I mean, that's correct. That's their that's their website. So very cool. Is it a cool looking site? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it got the, it's got their book up there and shows a picture of some dude with a guitar and, and dreads and looking all homelessy. I am checking it out now. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, <clears throat> I actually in Lexington, Kentucky, when I was there during seminary, that the police force actually had a, a program that. Um, to be able to bring awareness to homelessness, mm-hmm. and so a policeman who knew all, you know, all the uh, most of the homeless people because they deal with them on a daily basis downtown, uh, would actually dress up as a homeless person and invite bigwigs like the mayor and you know school superintendent and su- superintendents and pastors and stuff like that, and they would literally be homeless for two or three days, and they would sleep under cars and they would sleep in abandoned buildings and stuff like that, and they would get to know some of the homeless people. And everyone felt safe because there was a cop there at all times. Uh, also, but, the cop would do this with them. Yeah, the cop oh, would okay. do it with them, and that was and it was it was basically some kind of a program to be able to bring awareness to homelessness. Wow! And I think that was a pretty amazingly awesome program. No, I'm, no, I think that's really cool. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm trying not to take away from the awesomeness of that that story, but my question immediately goes to so the so the police officer did this with them, so he was there. So because they all he knew all the homeless people, so did they know that this really wasn't a homeless, a homeless person? Uh, yeah, but I think that the, the homeless people were so appreciative that someone actually cared enough to try to figure out what it's like to live their life gotcha. like that. Okay, that they respected them enough. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and they knew the they, they they knew the policemen, and they wouldn't take like big groups. I mean, it'd be like you know two or three people with a cop at all times. Yeah. So they really could you know go and warm their hands at the fire underneath the bridge and and um, and do stuff like that. It's. I mean, I, I really wanted to do it. Um, there was a, an associate pastor at the church that we were at that actually did do it and uh, got to talk about his experience and got to be able to come back to the church to be able to say, hey, this is a problem in our in this city. Yeah. You think it's only in Chicago or New York, but it's right here in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, what are we doing to help it? And it actually started up an entire uh, ministry that they actually started there at that church and allowed the homeless, um, a lot of the homeless to be able to spend the night there one night a week and they fed them and they washed all their clothes. They took all their clothes to a laundromat and brought it back. And I mean, it was, it started up a really cool ministry, uh, out of that church. And that is not the church that you would think that something like that (laughs) would be a part of no offense, but you know, it's this, it was an, it was an old school church with lots and lots of money. And about the only thing most of them really cared about was making sure the organ was in tune and, (laughs) You know, said they were not they were not outward looking at the time, mostly outward looking at the time when we were there. They were mostly inward looking. Um, but after we have left, maybe that's saying something. They had to get us out of the way <laughs> before they could start being outward focused. But but they started being outward focused. And man, it's it's just it's beautiful to see what all's happening there. And so I think they've increased it to be like two or three days a week now and and uh, stuff like that. And I know of another church in Lexington that they actually started opening up their basement. For the homeless people to stay in when the temperature dropped below a certain temperature okay. outside, and the and 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 this is actually a perfect um, um, segue into one of our show notes that we need to talk about today. But but the community around them protested the church, like they got mad at the government for allowing the church to allow those people, those homeless people, to come into their neighborhood. Wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah, it just blew me away. 
And and if you go to that neighborhood, it's not the nicest neighborhood. <laughs> that's what he, that's what's even more interesting to me uh, is you know you, you guys are probably two steps away from being homeless yourself, and yet you don't want those people around your neighborhood sleeping in the basement of a church. That is that is crazy. Well, the, going back to that first story and something you said there, and that that is something that I think has been an ongoing theme and conversation here on the About the Church podcast is these these churches that we sometimes look at and think, wow, so in, inwardly focused, very materialistic um, or consumer driven and 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 kind of lethargic. And what's the other word? You know, they, they're very apathetic towards the social ill around them. It, the, right. it, what what the story that you just shared to me or shared with me just goes to prove that a church that has a traditional mindset that is you know stuck in in the just the normal way of doing things right. something can occur and God can do something and use something to to bring those people to where without changing their format without making them sell their building they can in fact pick up right where they are and do something different that yeah. makes a difference in the kingdom of God. And so that's, yeah. you know, we, we, we say this, we had a, we have a sponsor that, that said, you know, sent in some money last year and said, you know, Hey, my only request is that if, if you guys wouldn't mind, just ask each week for the next year that everybody pray for a church in their community. That's not their own. Right. Right. Yeah. And these are the kinds of things that we should be praying for, for these churches that are around us and our own church. Course, you know, yeah. what are we doing or what, you know, what is it that we can do that will make a kingdom difference in this world? Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. what I'm interested in. <laughs> exactly. That's for show. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not just a country club where you're hanging out with the fellas. It says, uh, a nation says, you cannot have homeless people sleep in your basement uh, if you do not have one. Oh, okay, yeah. So he's basically saying, you know, it was it, it would be difficult for a church that meets in a high school to offer such a, a oh, yeah. you know, a, a service right. to that. Yeah, well, uh, Although, open up their own homes. Yeah. Exactly. That, yeah. that's, I was waiting for that one because that that's another thing. You, you know, people could open up their homes yeah. to homeless people yeah, if, and it's, and it's if one of those- they were the church. Yeah, definitely, and and you know, and Nation has a big smiley face after the comment. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be mean or anything, but it's like, uh, you know, I, I've had several people stay at our house. Um, you know, one <laughs> is more ribbing me. That's funny. <laughs> you know, like like one time, Tim and I went to our church, and there was literally a guy literally sleeping in their in our church. He he was sneaking in at night and uh, sleeping in the youth room, and we. Walked in because we you know we're Timmy's a youth pastor. We were there at all times, dropping stuff off or picking stuff up, and we were like, "No, dude, come on, stay at the house, stay at our house until you get back on your feet. It's fine." Right. And um, and it was you know it's fine, but it's just you know it's it's I think it's a it's a true issue, and I do think that that Christians are there. We're getting it though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we're we're understanding it slowly, um, but even even the most you know evangelical blah 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 church or whatever you know whatever you want to whatever label you want to put out in there they're starting to to do stuff which is awesome i mean they're they're i think that that those that are pure social justice are realizing that there's more just to social justice that actually involves some form of spirituality that there, that there's actually a wholeness to a lot of people that includes uh faith in the midst of it but I think the opposite is true too. That you know, people who are only about trying to to save people for Jesus 
are now also realizing that we maybe we should be saving people in, for Christ, but also doing these social justice issues, you know, feeding the poor and, you know, doing away with homeless and fighting against war and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, we had a really great topic at the at our Sunday night uh, organic gathering about nationalism and uh, has it become a religion in some people's cases and stuff like that. And we were just talking about as a Christian, how do you deal with being a part of the army or the military and stuff like that? Oh, it was a great conversation. We were, that's, that's awesome. Another subject. <laughs> You know, I was looking in the uh, chat room while you were talking there, and Kylie says, you know, I'd love to hear what is meant by evangelical. And if if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to try this real quickly here, but if I type in up at the search evangelical, let's see, I can't even spell it, jellical. I'm going to see if I can pull up the episode. Um, It's episode 49 of About the Church, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It's t- titled Mainline Versus Evangelical. And uh, that is an excellent episode to give you a, a great understanding of what we talk about when you hear the uh, term evangelical. Right. And Wikipedia has a pretty good uh, definition for it, too. Yeah, which we brought out in that episode. Yeah. yeah, and it does not equal fundamentalism Christianity. Right. And I think that's a, a huge issue. Yep. <laughs> Well, hey, people hear that term, and of course, it comes with lots of baggage. Let's let's turn to our, our our notes that you and I have here available to us. In fact, if if anybody wants to, you can go to, and I'm going to put this in the chat room, http colon slash slash gspn tv slash atc notes, and uh, that should pull it up for everybody that's in the chat room. Now, for those of you listening via the podcast. Uh, to be honest with you, if you were to type that in, it may be there, but chances are uh, the notes will be wiped out by the time you hear this in pre- oh, preparation for, for more notes okay. for the next show. Okay. But anyway, here we're going to start things off with an email from Kylie who wrote in and says, Cliff, I just wanted to let you to throw this into the ring. Sparked from DG's comments on prosperity from the episode of About the Church. Uh, it's a book I heard about on the Dave Ramsey show called Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel uh, Lapine. Uh, which, let's see, which I looked for on Mardell but did not find. I've heard Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller, both Christians, talk about capitalism, but a kind of moral capitalism where the goal is to serve the customer but still make a profit. I think he may have talked about it sometime during his town, uh, hope for, town hall for hope, and Dan Miller has probably has discussed it in more than one of his podcasts. If I happen to trip over it again, I'll be sure to pass on the episode number to you. <laughs> I uh, love the show, Kylie. P.S. I would be most interested in hearing an interview with uh, Kevin Rose. So that's both um, both uh, uh, Rick from Wisconsin and Kylie want to hear that interview. So yeah. we'll, 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 we'll get around to doing that, I'm sure. Because DG and I both have the books now, and we're going to try to fit some time in to read it and discuss yeah. it. And then we can uh, bring him on for an interview. Yeah, yeah. And I might ask him to interview with now i i now i will be honest with you that a lot of my um philosophies about how capitalism you know isn't bad and it kind of fits in with a christian worldview is is from two people who basically uh very much uh defend the capitalism and that would be dave ramsey and dan, uh, dan miller and those are two people that i look up to and uh you know not that they're a spiritual guide for me but these are two men that are christians that um, I have a lot of confidence in their their advice and wisdom and encouragement that they give out, and it's usually always backed up by biblical 
biblical principles and values that seem to resonate with the things that God's laid on my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I've certainly heard them talk about it uh, quite a deal, and, and I happen to agree a lot with them. Now, I've heard about this Thou Shall Prosper book. I've never read it, but I am looking at the link that she provided uh, for the book at Rabbi Daniel Lapine, L-A-P-I-N dot com. And um, let's see here. It says, why Jews throughout the ages flourish economically, uh, how you can benefit from this Jewish wisdom, what being in business means, and whether you are a professional, a CEO, or flipping burgers, <laughs> and why you should never retire. Don't Jews get like a bad rap with money and stuff like that? I mean, <laughs> that's like every joke I know of is is either giving them a hard time about pork or giving them a hard time about money. <laughs> You know, I, I've never really paid that much atten- attention to to the Jewish jokes. Oh yeah, well that, that's true. I mean, that's, they're like they're known for you know uh, either making movies nowadays, yeah, uh, or you know, or their is business. Is Spielberg, is Steven Spielberg is he Jewish? I, I you know I don't know. It sounds there's like a, a Jewish a name, but of, I, I, I'm so of, culturally illiterate most of the time. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of uh, Jewish guys that are making movies all over the place, um, which is cool. I mean, I'm, I appreciate it. I really enjoy the entertainment that uh, a lot of them provide. But but it, but it is a joke. It's like you know, yeah. How much you want for that? You know? <laughs> I give you three dollars for it, and uh, they're always bargaining and you know and stuff like that. Well, so. bargaining is a is a principle that Dave Ramsey talks an awful lot about. Yeah, He's like, yeah, Listen, yeah. you never go shopping with. With a card, you go with right, cash. You go with cash. You say it's right here in front of you. It's like, listen, if dude, you want this right now, you'll take this, even though it's five hundred dollars less than what that TV is. Right yeah, now. and if not, I'm sure the guy down the road would love to have this sale. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wave the same wad of cash right in front of him. Yes. So it's either you or him. Who's going home with the sale? <laughs> and, and and he says it, it it works all the time. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. It, and it doesn't matter if it's a toaster or if it's a brand new car. It works all the time. Yeah. yeah and and I and I've gone through. Dave Ramsey's stuff. I mean, I've, I've actually gone through it twice. Um, and you know, and I, I really, really appreciate all of his stuff about getting out of debt. I mean, that's, that's the story. I mean, that's not the story. That's, that's his message that I unbelievably appreciate more than anything else. Yeah. Um, because I, because I have fallen into the, the whole loving debt stuff and materialism stuff, uh, really, really bad right before I was married. And then right, is something going on somewhere in your house? That's, is the dryer a washer? It's the wash machine. It's got okay. a big, huge blanket in it. Oh, okay, okay. Because it's like, man, something's making a ton of noise. <laughs> There's a lot of hailstones falling outside. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the window's behind me, so I can't see them. But, but anyway, so it. But it's you know, I I I fell into that when I was in college, and then right when I was first married, and I mean, it was and it was an issue. It was a major issue. Yes, but if it had not have been for my wife waking me up to realize how selfish and how materialistic I was being and God too, um, you know, then I probably would have continued done it and I would have had much more debt than what I have now. Yeah. Stephanie and I had $85,000 in debt after about seven years of marriage. Yeah. And today we have none. That was, I'm sorry, unsecured debt. Yeah. And today we have none. We had because of Dave Ramsey. Yeah. We had around, we have around, uh, we have, but when, I mean, what it was ninety thousand dollars in debt. But that was all seminary. Yeah, it was just our masters for both of us, not including the credit cards we maxed out to buy groceries and furniture and you know st- stuff that we would normally have to get because we we're married. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. 
Well, I do appreciate D- Dave Ramsey. And, uh, you know, as far as this book, I, I don't know that I could, uh, I could, um, I could recommend it, but I, I, I know that I have heard them mention it. And so, you know, th- these are guys that I, I like a lot and, and I usually trust the resources. And, and I'll say this as, as, as the same way I would say about any other book out there. It's like, listen, as, as a Christian, I suggest that you read what you feel led to read. And, and when you read it, read it with a, with a, a discerning spirit. And if you don't sure. have a discerning spirit, start spraying, start spraying for one. Start praying for a discerning spirit. God, God will grant you wisdom to those who seek wisdom and, and right. knowledge. And so I, I believe that, that when you read those books, some of those things you'll, you'll say, wow, that totally resonates with what God's laid on my heart and what I've read in scripture. And there'll be some things that you'll read and no matter what book it's like, uh, no, I don't think I can buy into that value or that principle. It seems to go against what God's calling me to do. Sure. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite books that I, or it wasn't a book that I've read. It is a book, but uh, a sermon series that I heard was the best question ever, you know, by Andy Stanley. And it was it, the the question was, you know, is this right or is this wrong? Uh, but the que- the best question ever is what is the wise thing to do? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. not what's the right thing because you know there it's not right or wrong is the premise it was right, right, right. Uh, like for example is it wrong for me if let's just say i worked at a, a corporation where hundreds of employees and there's a, a a co-worker a female co-worker on my team is it wrong for me to go out to lunch with just her and i you right, know is right. that is that wrong well no technically there's nothing wrong with that and, you know, and then three weeks later, it's crunch time. You got a project. Everybody else can't stay late. But the, just you and that same female coworker. Is it wrong for you to stay late after hours and and work with her? You two are the only ones in the office left that night. Is it wrong for you to do that? It's like, right. well, no, that's not technically there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's just not very wise. Is it, exactly. <laughs> and so it, I love this. And, and and it was basically the question is, what's the wise thing, thing to do? And he and he breaks it down. And based upon my previous experiences, my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams. Right, right, right. So, have I had a problem lusting or whatever in the past? Or, you know, what's well, my current and, and, cir- it, circumstance and relationship you, with my wife? I, I would want you to, to add in a, a, a God aspect to that too. It's just like, you know, like what are God's plans and dreams for me instead of my plans and dreams? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I, I would want to add that in there. And I, and I, I know it's probably just an assumed understanding. Yeah, it is. Because the whole sermon is about. God's desire for. But I just, I just wanted us to add that in there. Sure, absolutely. But anyway, uh, and that's a book that I would uh, consider. I would definitely recommend. Is the best question ever by Andy Stanley. Definitely awesome book. All right, so we did the uh, we did the call from Rick from Wisconsin, and we'll move on to uh, an article that John uh, Josh Josh Thompson sent in, and there's a link to this article, but uh, a couple, yeah, I'll let you read it, a couple that has been ordered to stop holding Bible study at their home without having a permit. <laughs> All right, this happened back on Thursday, May, the story came from Thursday, May 28th, 2009, so go okay. ahead. So uh, Pastor David Jones and his wife Mary have been told they cannot invite friends to their San Diego, California home for a Bible study unless they're willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars to San Diego County. On Good Friday, we had an employee from the San Diego County come to our house and inform us that the Bible study that we were having was a religious assembly and in violation of the code in the county, David Jones told Fox News. 
Uh, we told them this is just th- th- this is not really a religious assembly. It's just a Bible study with friends with a meal. We pray. That was all Joan said. A few days later, the couple received a written warning that cited quote unlawful use of land, ordering them to either quote stop religious assembly or apply for a major use permit. End quote. The couple's attorney, Dean Broyles, is that right? Yeah, Broyles, uh, told San Diego news station 10 News. <laughs> so in other words, he's like, oh, we're taking this public. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the major use permit could cost the Joneses thousands of dollars uh, just to have a few friends over. Uh, and they said, of course, for the couple, it's more than a question of money. The government may not permit the free exercise of religion. Uh, prohibit the free exercise of religion, Broyles told Fox News. I believe that our founding fathers would roll over in their grave if they saw that here in the 2009, a pastor and his wife are being told they cannot hold a simple Bible study in their own home. The implications are great because it's not only us that's involved, Mary Jones said. There are thousands and thousands of Bible studies that are held all across the country. What we're interested in is setting a precedent here, but it goes on before it goes on any further that we've had to settle for in the future. The couple's on planning to dispute the county's order this week. All right, and it says if San Diego County refuses oh. to allow the pastor and his wife to continue gathering without acquiring a permit, they will consider a, a lawsuit in federal court. Yeah. So here's the thing. First of all, we have this thing's happening in a in a I guess a suburb of uh, what is that San, San, Diego. San Diego County. My question, first and foremost, is this couple the Broyles. How how on earth is it? that they have done they my 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 initial thought is what did this what did this couple do and this family do or in these friends that came over for bible study uh what did they do that ticked the neighbors off you yeah, know yeah why, what brought them that's what i'm questioning you know, why did the county even know about it yes i mean the the question is did did they did they decide together one day? It's like, hey, let's go knock on the neighbors' doors and go talk to them all, you know, and right, invite yeah. them. And and uh, you know, it, it, and 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 nation is in the chat room. Jonathan says, you know, neighbors. It could be just one neighbor, but okay, so it's just one neighbor. Is is yeah, there yeah. is there something that that this group has done to this neighbor? Hmm. So that's the first question that comes to my mind. And then the second thing that comes to my mind is like, you know, how on earth do you do you know whether or not a group of people are over your house for re- religious assembly or just for dinner? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because Stephanie and I hold no parties are allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie and I hold a home team Bible study group right, every sure. single Wednesday evening in our home. And we have right. Stephanie and I have been leading uh, these types of Bible study groups since 1996. And I'm leading a network of 10 of them. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and so basically I mean, when we come over, the, the, sure, there's a couple cars in front of the house. Right. That's the that's the only outward visible sign right. that anything is going or on. Or maybe smoke from a grill one or two nights. I maybe. Mean, you know, it's... Or smoke from something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, just kidding. <laughs> well, so, one guy does smoke a cigar. So anyway, so it, it really, <laughs> but it looks no different. And in fact, there are times when, you know, my kids will have a, uh, you know, we'll have a birthday party for one of the kids. There's more kids over here, or more cars parked outside than that. Oh, yeah, because it's a party. It's a party. Right. And so, but the thing is, is there is hardly anything different when our friends come over just because they're invited for dinner versus when they come over for one of these meetings. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, check, it's okay when, when people come over, just if they have a Bible in hand, that's religious, religious assembly. What's what? right. Well, my first, my first thought was, this is Fox news. Yeah. <laughs> that was honestly my first thought. Yeah. And I thought, well, of course they went to Fox news. <laughs> yeah. They want them to be able to say, look at this religious slant and, you know, the, tell all the conservatives what's going on. And, and it does, it does, it is very frustrating that, um, that they would title it a religious assembly, blah, 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 blah. I, I know that we have had the same issue with our church at Florence, you know, Methodist church, not with any of the waters groups, but, uh, my wife put out a sign advertising VBS uh-huh. and, um, and our church is not in a, is, is considered a residential area. So the sign that we have up front is the only sign that we have permission to be able to put up. So when she tried to put up this, you know, whatever it was, sign that was advertising, and it basically went up a month before VBS. The VB was going, VBS is going to last a week, so it's basically going to be up uh, uh, for a month and a week. And the city came and and uh, gave us a citation saying you're not allowed to having any signs. You're considered residential zoning, and you're not allowed to have any signs. Yep, and. Um, and and they personally cited my wife because she was the one who literally put the sign up. It wasn't just to the church. It was to Tiffany. And they threatened lawsuit. I mean, they threatened a fine of, you know, how much ever money it is or whatever else. If she didn't take it down. If she did not take it they down. They didn't just automatically assume, throw a, a fine at her. Right. No, no, no. no. Okay. I mean, they, they I just threw a warning to, up front. Yeah. And they, but, but she basically, come, go take it down or else. Right. Exactly. But, I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, DG. It's I, absolutely ridiculous. I used to work at a stop sign. Or not stop sign. I used to work, at, worked this, at a stop I worked sign. Yes, yeah, so I used to work at this one I stop sign. I see my territory. sitting there on the stool at stop sign. <laughs> I'm not sure what he was doing, but he would wave at everybody just, or point at a few people every now and then. You didn't stop. I was just saying, hey, look, there is no white line surrounding this, so it's not optional. <laughs> no. That I, is awesome. I used to, awesome. I used to work at a sign shop. In in uh, Ellesmere a long time ago or in Erlanger, and I will tell you that sign permits are very much a big thing, and it doesn't matter if you're a church or not a church. Oh, I know, I know. It's and a- all when you go up and, and somebody sticks a a yard a yard sale sign, that's illegal. It is you're not allowed to do that. What about realty signs? Um, realty signs are allowed because they paid the county money for it. They do. They that's, do. It's all money. It is all money, but that's the issue. But it, but it's there. I I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, go into the defense of any of this stuff. But some of it is also um, the you know if everybody was allowed to throw up signs, there is the 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 look of the community kind of thing, right? You know, and it's like you don't want to just drive everywhere. And it's kind of like have you have you ever been to Hilton Head, South Carolina, or is it North Carolina? I think it's South Carolina. Think any not, anyway Hilton Head. If you go there, you do you'll never see the golden arches. I mean, you'll see them if you look at the sign close enough. That's built just like every other sign in Hilton Head. You're talking about McDonald's sign. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, well, and Santa Fe, New Mexico, is the exact same way. Everything had to be Adobe. Mm-hmm. You'd never know there was a Target there. You'd never know there's an IHOP. You'd never know that any of these places even existed. Walmart, nothing. I mean, it is Adobe with big wood things sticking out of it. Everything looked like. Uh, you know, an Adobe uh, Native American reservation almost. I mean, it was just, and houses had to be that way. No house could be more than two stories tall. No building could be more than two stories tall. I mean, it was just hardcore with the zoning reg- with the zoning regulations. But 
it's it's one thing to be able to have a sign up permanently. Like, I mean, you're driving down your residential neighborhood, people's houses. Oh, look how cute all the kids are out. And then all of a sudden you just see like five houses with neon signs in them as a business. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I understand that. But if it's if it's not going to be a permanent sign up there and you and and why can't you apply for a month long well, you, know, you can't you can't apply for one. They just will reject it if it's in a residential area. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't because apply for it. You'd have you, you can tell them you can ask to change the zoning. Yes, and that costs like four thousand dollars just to be heard, much less to be approved. Yeah, but and that's because they have to they have to hold a town hall meeting, and they're going to have one anyway. They could put it on the docket. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. It is a money issue for the county. Yeah, and and if it's if it's you know, and the church would have no problems whatsoever going up there and saying, "We're only going to put a sign up for one month. Here's our permit." Yeah, you know, give us a permit to do that, and we'll even pay you twenty bucks for it. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. But to just throw it out there and, and regulate it like nobody's business, and so people get really creative and they put their signs on their cars and they leave their cars parked in the parking lot, mm-hmm. you know, or something else like that. I mean, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, but I, I think that. that that's more of a. That's just more of a bureaucracy issue than a than a church issue. Right. I don't, I don't think it's right. something that that anybody did. No, but I'm just saying. It, it ultimately, I think what we're talking about is the separation of church and state. Ultimately, yeah. Um, and and I think that uh, what's going on here is that they're worshiping in a house. I mean, yeah, he's just a Bible study. Come on, dude, it's worship. You're, be proud that you're a religious assembly, you know. But I mean, yeah, in their in their minds, of course, they're thinking, no, you know, you're having church. You and I are having a religious assembly right now. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just one of those things where you're just like, you know what? Hey, okay, you guys are you you guys are butting up against the separation of church and state, and uh, let's go to war on it. You know, let's let's take it to the Supreme Court. That's fine with me. Um, that's part of, of of who I think that the country should be. And if we need to have more laws to be able to make those separations clear, that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big I'm a big separation of church and state dude, um, especially when we were in Santa Fe and you know, and like fifteen or twenty percent of the students in the school were Wiccan. So you know, if I wanted to have a prayer in school, <laughs> guess who they're going to probably be praying to. You know, I, I'm all for separation of church and state, especially you know you go to go to specific areas of the country, and you're not gonna be you're not gonna find your faith there. And uh, and it, and if there is no separation of church and state, then you're then the opposite of whatever your faith is that you would completely disagree with is now going to be a part of the the government as well as, uh, as you know as well as your faith. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's a huge huge issue. Like Tiffany, I always said all the time, you know, we're we are not Mormon. Um, and if anyone listening here is Mormon, then whatever, that's fine. Uh, but you know, we would not want, if, if there was no separation of church and state, I guarantee you, you would get a lot of Mormon teachings in schools. Um, if you lived in Utah, you know, or a place where there were a lot of Mormon people there and I would not want that. I would not want my child, um, to go through something like that. Yeah. And April Sorry. is in the chat room. She says separation of church and state was supposed to protect us from a state mandated church. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> England is a prime example of that when you have the Church of England yes, uh, and, and things like that. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's yeah. there was a reason why that stuff was done. And it was one of our founding things. Now, what cracks me up is uh, <laughs> Richard says, hooray. <laughs> uh, but what cracks me up here is, is uh, oh, man, I just had it. I just lost it. And, oh, the, the, I believe our founding fathers would roll over in their grave. Yeah. Okay. Uh, someone needs an, an education about who our founding fathers were and what their faith was like. 
<laughs> you know, because I mean, the in, in God We Trust was not originally on our money. <laughs> it's not originally uh, in a lot of things uh, with our foundation of our of our country. So. No, but there there no what there what, there were deists. There were yes. tons of deists, but they were never Christian. And I think that that that's and that, that's a huge huge issue. And I think a lot of people that are you know Christian right. We'd say, oh, everyone was Christian. We were all, you know, we're founded we're a Christian country, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, come on, people. You really, really wasn't as much as you think it was. Well, as deist, I mean, if you're a deist, as in the, you know, early days of these early American uh, forefathers, um, does that mean that they didn't believe in Christianity at all? I mean, I mean. No, it's just saying that they probably believed in a God. Okay. Now, whether it was a Christian God or you know, some other God, then they just believe that there would be a higher being. It's very much like AA. Hey, we'll cover you. As long as you're a deist, you can be able to get some help here. You believe in a higher, in a higher being. Okay. Um, yeah. Jefferson was definitely not a fan of Jesus. That's true. <laughs> Jefferson was a fan of himself a lot <laughs> and women. <laughs> yeah. So 1957 was when in God we trust was first used in paper money. Gotcha. So it happened in the fifties when the when church was you know the highest it's it's ever been. So right. Anyway, anyway, here's a something that came in, and I think this came in from uh, Richard, who's in our chat room, and he says, "Hey, dear Cliff and DG, uh, having listened to the Praxis Podcast episode number thirty-seven, which you can find over at praxispodcast.com, P-R-A-X-I-S podcast.com. Mm-hmm. That's uh, DG's." church where he interviews a bunch of church leaders and people who are making changes in uh the christian faith it's, yeah, it's, it's not just church leaders yeah no no i mean but it's, it's just gonna say you said it's dg's church it's not even my church i mean it's just it's just Did a i podcast say dg's I church i said yeah. dg's podcast uh, that's right you said DG's church. oh i'm sorry All right. anyway keep going it's anyway. a podcast i do that it happens to be religious called praxis podcast <laughs> it's it's for it's for leaders by leaders is is their idea behind it? It's people gotcha. who are actually practicing out the kingdom. So, what was episode thirty seven? Do you know? Oh gosh, I have to go find it. All right, let me do that real quick. Well, anyway, this article is called "Evangelical Fads" by Terry Mattingly, and uh, we're going to go through and read this real quickly. The upperclassmen sat across from oh. cafeteria table from freshman Joe Carter, and in a matter of minutes, asked the big question: a question about eternal life and death. As many evangelical were, let's see, as any evangelical worth his weight and salt and okay i can't read today <laughs> dg read this for me okay <laughs> uh i gotta find Second out where you line. left off because i was looking for the podcast which by the way it was a really good podcast that's actually one of my favorite seminary professors when i was growing up so it's it's, it's good um or where were you at second line Is any evangelical worth his or her salt knows i like the her i like the added issue mm-hmm. <laughs> That question sounds like this. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Super aggressive believers prefer, quote, are you saved? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? <laughs> Carter remembers replying, um, yeah, actually I have. What happened next was strange. The young man was, quote, visibly disappointed and, quote, wore a look of minor defeat because he wouldn't get to save a soul during his lunch period. He ate quickly and departed, and this... Uh, is the crucial detail for Carter that they never spoke again. The evangelist wasn't looking for a friend or dialogue with a believer. He wanted to carve another notch in his Bible using techniques learned during a soul-saving workshop where his blunt approach offered strangers, offended strangers, and even strengthened their fundy alert systems. 
<laughs> what a great quote. That's hilarious. Uh, that was their problem, not his. Every decade or so, there was a new, improved technique for making the spiritual sales pitches, each backed by snappy catchphrases, and these days with hot websites, books, and videos. Then everything changes again, and a generation later, noted Carter, what you get are stacks of leftover, left-behind video games, what would Jesus do, bracelets, emerging church study guides, and copies of Prayer Jabez. It helps to know that Carter is himself an evangelical who is concerned about evangelism issues. As a journalist, the 39-year-old former U.S. Marine has worked for a number of conservative causes, including World Magazine, Family Research Center, and presidential campaign of Mike Huckabee. He recently helped build Culture11.com, a right-of-center forum for evangelicals, Catholics, and mainline Protestants interested in discussing how religion, culture, and politics mix in daily life. That website's future is uncertain, but before his recent departure, Carter nailed a manifesto to that cyber door. <laughs> a great author, by the way. Terry is great. Um, dissecting 10 fads that he believes are hurting evangelical organizations and churches. Uh, what most conservatives have been arguing about their political future in the Barack Obama era, Carter focuses on faith issues. It's a list that will be puzzling to outsiders not fluent in evangelical lingo, the, quote, sinner's prayer, which reduces the quest for salvation to a short magical incantation, made the list, as did the emphasis of premillennial dispensationalism and other apocalyptic teachings in some churches. Um, Carter is also tied, tired of long, improvised public prayers in which every other phrase contains the words, just as in, or, quote, we just want to thank you, Lord. He would like to hear more sermons focused on the life of Jesus as opposed to preachers and evangelical and even an evangelists. Now I'm getting your, your, your tongue <laughs> as disease. opposed to preachers and evangelists focusing, focusing on their own dramatic life testimonies. And while he was in favor of growing churches, Carter is worried that the church growth movement, this is it's starting to sound like me now <laughs> has evolved from a fad into a permanent fixture for American scene. Quote, what most people call the church growth movement is something that grew out of business principles instead of growing organically out of the life of the church. He says, People started trying to figure out how they could change the church so they could get more people to come inside rather than doing what the early church did, which was going outside the church and reaching people by actually getting to know them. It's like people started saying, quote, what kind of music do we need to play so that more people will join? What do we need to do to the preaching? What kind of media can we need to, that we need to add to the services? But the thread that runs throughout the online manifesto is that Carter is convinced that evangelicals need to spend less time striving to make quick conversations conversions and more time training disciples who stay the course in the end he says his techniques will not carry over from one generation to another part of the problem is that evangelicals really don't have traditions said carter instead we have these fads that are built on the strength and talents of individual leaders but our real tradition can be handed on to anyone from any generation to generation it's hard to hand these evangelical fads down like this so it seems like we're always starting over that's hard to build something that really lasts yeah, I definitely see that he's not a fan of the evangelical movement. <laughs> Although I will say that... And yet he calls I, himself an evangelical. Does he? Yes. Terry Terry Mattingly does? Oh, I don't know about Terry Mattingly That's does, but who, the guy who the no. guy who's writing about... Okay, no. This is... I'm talking about the, the actual writing of uh, the article. The person's obviously not a fan of the evangelical movement. Um, I consider myself... I didn't think that. I think that he was you don't quoting... Think so? I think he was quoting... This dude, this um, oh, okay. Joe Carter all the time. Oh, okay. I think Joe Carter is the guy that's not a, that claims to be an evangelical. That oh, okay. So he's the one who called them fundies. Yeah. The oh, okay. The 
But his blunt approach offended strangers or even strengthened, quote, their fundy alert systems. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Well, anyway, um, you know, I, I consider myself to be from the evangelical wing of Christianity. And I don't know that I agree that we don't have traditions, that all we have are fads. Now, I would say that, yes, we, I have fallen, um, fallen prey to what has happened in, in the very beginning of this article where it, you know, you start up a conversation and you base whether or not you're going to continue on in a relationship with that person, uh, uh, based upon your gut feeling on what is the likelihood that you might be able to, number one, share in a evangelical uh, worldview understanding of shared beliefs and values as it relates to your view of Christianity. So, you know, as long as we believe the same, then heck yeah, we, we can be friends. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Or what is, what is the likelihood that I can convert you to that? And that I very much openly admit that that is wrong and that it was very pervasive. That was the main way of thinking for me for a lot of my um, early years as, as a Christian and so, yeah, that's definitely a problem. But to say that we don't have any traditions, you know, there. when I think about it, it's like what, you know, if you say that the evangelical church is is an offshoot of the fundamentalist movement, what is the fun? I mean, it's the fundamentals. It's the people that don't want to let go of the values and principles that we've held dearly for so long. It's, it's like, you know... <sighs> If you, it's it's basically saying okay, so this is not a very popular mindset and thought in our in today's culture and in our society. So one, you know, the in my mind, the evangelical might be a little bit more fundamental and say, listen, it's not a popular teaching, but it's a teaching that we have always held onto ever since the earliest beginnings of our church, and so therefore, you know, this is something that. We're not what just teaching toss are you out. talking about? Um, okay, well, that, I mean, you're kind of trying to. You're, it sounds like you're trying to define fundamentalism, and you're saying that those are just the fundamental aspects of Christianity. Yeah, the fundamental aspects of Christianity. But I don't think that people are, are talking about the fundamental aspects of Christianity. Like, do you think the fundamental aspect of Christianity is walking to somebody and saying, "Are you saved or not?" No. That, and that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's the baggage that comes with, I think, the term yes. fundamental Christianity. And they're they're not thinking of was Jesus and going on to the next show note here, you know the basics of Christianity. I don't think that they're talking about Jesus was God, that Jesus died, He rose again, and He ascended to heaven. And you know, I don't think that they're, I don't I don't feel like that they that they have a that people would have a problem with that. They would just see that as another faith, you know, another faith based uh-huh. group. Okay, I think that what they're saying fundamentalism is is. Um, uh, you know, I'm not. Of course, this needs to be defined too. I'm not sure exactly what he's saying because I'm not. You know, but I, it's it's more of the here's a tract. Um, yeah. The idea of converting people to convert them uh, to make your God happy or our God happy, um, and to help the other people's lives out too. That that this is the best decision you could possibly make in your entire life, and you've got to do it in this lifetime right now. You have to do it, and. Um, and as opposed to saying, hey, it is the most important decision you can make, but I want to walk with you in life for a little bit. And I want you to, I want to make it I want to make it a decision that you're not going to just say, yeah, to get me off your back. 
uh, or just or say, because you're scared of yeah, the consequences of yeah, not making out of it. fear or out of guilt or something like that. That this is actually a decision that you could actually become a disciple. That one that would be saying, "Hey, I'm willing to walk with Jesus the rest of my life and ask Him questions and and continue to grow and and you know." And I would want the same thing to be able to happen to all my friends, but I'm not going to force it down their throats uh, with a tract and, and having that mindset. I remember. I don't know if I've shared this with with in this podcast or not, but I went to a, a conference and uh, Diana Butler Bass. I don't know if you're familiar with Diana Butler Bass or not, but uh, she's a great author. And she was saying that that a lot of times, a lot of people just take the Great Commission, um, which is um, <laughs> go and baptize, you know, basically all the nations, everybody, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, practice them to teach everything I've taught you, uh, obey or whatever. It was. And so. You have this great commission that really that that people have just latched on to that said, yes, we've got to go and and uh, and convert people. And that, that's what they read in the Great Commission. And she said that that what that what's that what that's done for the church is is created like this manifest destiny. Like our whole objective is just to convert the entire world. That's that is what we are in, in this world for. And she said, but actually, if you actually go back to the great commandment where it says, love God with everything of who you are, and by the way, in other words, love your neighbor as yourself, that when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're actually going to be living out the great commission. Yes. <laughs> and and it's not the manifest destiny of let's go convert the world. The conversion aspect is God's, it, that's God's job. That, that's that's what Spirit's I was going to say. It's like yeah. when it says the young man visibly disappointed and wore a look of defeat because he wouldn't get to save a soul during his lunch period. I'd, I'd venture to say he's never won a soul during any lunch period he's ever had. <laughs> Well, I don't think anyone's Unless, ever won a soul. That's God what I'm might saying. have won a soul. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. what I'm saying. It, it's, yeah. it's like it, it, we Billy and, Graham never won a soul. <laughs> and I, I can, I will agree that there are a percentage of what I consider to be evangelical Christians who certainly go and 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 give off this vibe. It, it is a part of who oh, sure, they are. Sure. That's all. I mean, they're all about that. And 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 I used to be one of them, right, but sure. I I just want to say, I a majority of the people that I have done life with, yeah, in the church mm-hmm. have been evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. and this is not the the majority. Right. The majority of the evangelical Christians before looked at me as one of these guys, uh, and and what I would oh yeah sure, and it's like Cliff, calm down. It's like it's like, yeah, but yeah. no, I'm serious. How, I mean, how? How much are you doing? It's like you know, yeah, yeah. And, and and I used to, and it's like no, Cliff. You know, there's a bigger picture here. And and I, I'll tell you when it when it hit me the most, and what woke me up was when I asked started asking my question, "What's the meaning of life? Why am I here?" You know, it's right, like right. how it's like how crazy is it to think that my only purpose in life is just to convert people? You know, it's like yeah. you know, all we're here for is to try to save the sinners. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, well, gosh, that one purpose and one purpose alone. Well, why do I spend any time doing anything other than that yeah. purpose? Yeah, and that was a big joke in Texas that we used to. And this is not true, of course. It's it is a joke, okay? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, the Baptists will convert them, but the Methodists will will create disciples out of them. They're like, we'll take them after they do the conversion thing. <laughs> and it's just like, and we were, and the big joke was, well, we need them. We need both of us. <laughs> Yeah, we need the Baptist having all the altar calls, but we also need the Methodists that are creating a bunch of disciples. That was a big joke, but but it's true. I mean, if 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 conversion is your only is your only thing, the only thing you got, 
then you're missing out on on what your understanding of discipleship could be. And it's a rich, beautiful understanding of discipleship. But you also have to watch the other extreme of that, to have just a bunch of relationships where you never are willing or capable of of saying, hey, let's talk about the, the seriousness of this decision. You know, it, it, I mean, not that you, not that that quote unquote saves a soul, right? Sure, but but sometimes God will give you the the wisdom and discernment of what to say, when to say it, and and th- every now and then God will send an Ethiopian eunuch to you to to share the gospel, to actually share right. the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, and 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 you have a decision to make, right? Exactly, yeah. So I guess what I'm afraid of. And and when I you know is is that I I agree that evangelicals need to have a, a balanced view of the Great Commission. You know, it is our it I believe it's all of our responsibility to go therefore and te- to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all of the th- to obey all the things that I've taught you. So right, there right. there there is this concept of go and teach, go and preach, go yeah. and share. Sure. And, 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 the, and go and convert people. Right. And the discipleship but, aspect is that teaching part is, yes. you know, is a pupil, a student, an apprentice. You yeah. Know, and, go and make disciples. So what is a disciple? Somebody who follows the teaching of somebody else. So for you, and here's, and, and, and this is what I think is the primary argument against that philosophy is that if you are to create a disciple, well, they need to follow the teaching of someone. So you need to become a discipler. Or a teacher, somebody who is expa- who is sharing life, sharing experience, teaching along the way. Right. And so, but, but if as all you're, you're teaching, doing is, you're also still a student. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, yeah, so it's, exactly. It's almost like you're in math class and you turn to the person you're right and you say, "Okay, well, this is how to this is how to do that equation." So you both you both still have a teacher up there named Jesus, but you're actually kind of doing a little bit of teaching on the side. There. Exactly. And so and we're just learning. tutoring. Exactly. You know, yeah, we're a, a bunch of that would be awesome. That's just, right. We got a new book title there. There we go. How to become a tutor. How to become a tutor for God. <laughs> Discipleship tutor. So, <laughs> but the thing is, though, is, is I, I think that we do need people who are willing to ask the question. I mean, I don't, uh, here's the thing. I think that the question, uh, hold on, where are those questions? Because it says, do, do, do. Are you, okay, the questions, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I do not think that as a taboo, never should be asked question. However, I think that it should never be asked. It, well, I can't say never. You know, God may lay it on your heart to to, sure, to, to, sure. to ask that question just out of nowhere. Right, right, right. But I think a majority of the time that that's a question that you don't just go up to somebody that you've never met before on the side of the street or at, right, at, a, right. at the courtyard at the local mall. Right. And sit down and ask that question. Yeah. You know, that, 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 do it in relationship. Yeah. You know, build a relationship and don't build. And, and the thing is, is and this comes down to the, well, if my only goal in life is to convert others to Christianity, well, then everything I do is for that ultimate end. Right, exactly. And see, that's and Manifest I, destiny stuff. I used to believe that. Right. And it's like, you know what? No, my, my goal, I found my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to encourage others through Christ. But it's not, that, that purpose for me is not just conversion. Conversion is not the only thing that's in Christ that we are to enjoy. Right, exactly, you know? yeah. 
there there is so much more and, to and enjoy I, in this life. Right, and I'm a big, huge proponent of saying that there's got to be pre-discipleship before conversion and post-discipleship after conversion. That needs to it need we need to allow places for like that to happen. And and uh, the uh, sparrow here in the chat room says that their pastor has been talking about rungs in the ladder and making sure that programs are those are there there for those bottom rungs because we need to remember that someone stepped down to those bottom rungs to help us up to do the same. Uh, but, and, and I, and I think that another way of saying it, I think Andy Stanley does this too. He talks about like the living room and the kitchen and the, yes. and the front porch and stuff like that. And he's like, we need to create front porch experiences and, and environments. But the idea is to get them to the kitchen table, not to the living room, but the kitchen table is where conversation happens and nourishment yes. happens and, and um, and family life happens, so it's kind of the same thing. But we've got to be willing to be stepping out onto that front porch instead of just making the front porch real pretty and expecting people to come ring our doorbell. I think Christ is saying, "Hey, you might want to take your front doormat, and you might need to go to someone else's house, <laughs> yeah, and lay down your front doormat and spend some time on their front porch before they'll ever even come into your front porch." Exactly. So anyway, but just, I just want to say that it's not just super aggressive believers that should be using you know yeah, yeah. are you saved i mean that that's a completely valid question for any believer to ask somebody else in the right context and given the right circumstances and in the right relationship right. but the problem but not, is is the heart issue behind it is not do i you know how much how much can i love you yeah the heart issue behind that is a judgment call mm-hmm. on the person asking it 90 percent of the time it's a judgment call saying who are you and where are we at right now yeah and, and I and I think that, and, and if and if they're asking that question so they can convert, then there's an issue there. Well, for I I think about the times that that I might ask this question back then, I would say I don't know. I don't know that that would be the the case that it's a judgment call. My, my question is, have when I asked that question of somebody in the past, and, and admittedly I did it for the goal of conversion, right? But when, even when I did it, then it was not a judgment call. It was it was a, out of a genuine concern for other people. You know, have you ever considered this? Ha, have you ever thought where you are in relationship with the Creator of this universe? And 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 not that you know, not that I'm going to save you, and I'm going to present something to you that's going to to radically change your life. Right. But have you ever asked that question? You know, it's as a, as a genuine concern. I, I, I think the difference between I think the difference between you and me, at least, or you know, at that point in time in your life, is I would desire for that person to come to me with that question mm-hmm. instead of me asking them that question. I think it'd be a lot more receptive and a lot more effective is if I live out my Christian life unabashedly saying, Hey, I'm a Christian. This is who I am. This is what I do. And, and then they come to you with saying, I've noticed, you know, I've noticed in your words that, that you really do love me and that you really do care for me. And I've noticed how you dealt with your mother's death. And I've noticed how you, you know, how you live your life. I'm interested in that. And that is when I would say, yeah, or, you know, hey, now you can be able to have a serious conversation because the spirit has actually been working on somebody and loving on somebody. And God has been saying, hey, I'm trying to woo you into a relationship with me because I want a relationship with you. Right. And now I'm going to ask Cliff to take over where you need to have a conversation with someone else. Absolutely. And and that's and I think that's the difference between me and most of the people that were willing to hand out tracks is I want to develop a relationship with someone and I got to be there long enough and and the relationship has got to be deep enough to where that conversation's actually going to be effective instead of it just being awkward. Yeah. I I'm not a huge fan of using tracks by any stretch of the imagination. 
Uh, but you know, when I, when I think of that, the one thing that comes to mind is, you know, what if, um, let's just say one of my cousins that I maybe saw, you know, once a year at a, an annual family reunion picnic, you know, and, uh, you know, we used to be close when we were kids and, and things like that, but really don't know him all that well. Uh, other than just the fact that we're related, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's been in a horrible car accident and he's at the hospital and, and the doctors say he's, he may live another two or three weeks at at the most, you know, it's, it's when there's a sense of urgency and see, I think that that's the one thing that evangelicals, uh, in, in considering myself. So maybe let's just say, forget about, putting a blanket over all evangelicals. Sure, sure. One of the things that's on my mind a lot is is that sometimes I, you know, is there an urgency? No, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this, you know, and and what I've had to do is I had to, I've come to rely on God to say, God, I'll tell you what, I am not going to go out of my way to have a predetermined agenda for every conversation and every relationship huh. that I have. Exactly. And I want to live out that life. But I say to God, I say, listen, if you ever stir within me through your spirit and prompt me to ask that question, as uncomfortable as it may be, and as and, and regardless of what relationship, maybe I would feel more comfortable in asking this. If you lay it on my heart, I'll do it. Because I do still sense that, you know, God may call me to have that conversation with somebody who may not have tomorrow. Right. Exactly. And I just want to say that I maybe call me a super aggressive evangelical believer, but I still may occasionally one day break out the are you saved if you were to die tonight, will you go to heaven or hell card? Oh, don't let me be around. <laughs> I'm cool with the first half. I'm not cool with the second half. <laughs> Why aren't you cool with the are you going because to heaven or hell? Because Christianity is not just about going to heaven. We've already had this it's conversation not, a but, way but, no, but hold on. But wait a second. It, 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 I, when I ask that question, it's not saying that that's all Christianity is about. When but you if ask you the question, to, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Yes, it is. That is exactly what that statement is saying. It's all about heaven. <laughs> that's what it is. It's no. not giving life life abundantly right now. It's just talking it's all about, about heaven or hell. It, when I say it, heaven or hell, I'm thinking, okay, heaven, eternal life with God in relationship with him. Hell, completely, eternally separated from God. You did not say that. You that's said, a, if you when die I say tonight. He, would you go to heaven or hell? That's what. Those are the two things I think of when I say that statement. That's not what they're going to hear. They're going to hear death and life after death. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. If I was to use that statement, it would be somebody who's looking at death. Somebody who is terminally ill that's got a couple days or weeks left to live. That's the time that I would use that question. Oh, I would not ask that question to somebody that, you know, and when I was in high school, sitting at the <laughs> lunchroom table, you know, getting ready to graduate. If you were yeah. to die tonight, <laughs> getting ready, you know, putting the gown on, walking yes. up. <laughs> if you were to die of a heart attack so, as we dude. go to get our diploma. <laughs> I'm talking the time I would bring that up is it, but you know, I, I, I would I, I wouldn't do it there. I would never even do I would never do it because I want them to be able to experience uh, the life that they can have, even if it's four minutes, I want them to be, be able to experience life right now and life abundantly because that's what Christ brought for this life now. And the cherry on the top is life after. But but so what I mean, so if you die tonight, I just don't understand your your feelings against the question heaven or hell. 
I mean, so life right now, that's great. But what about the life thereafter? I'm saying is that not a part of Christianity? It is a part of it, but your focus is death. Your focus is life after death. And I'm saying right now life. This should be our focus. That's just the cherry on top of the wonderful ice cream sundae that we're getting to eat because of the life abundantly now. So if so if I were to say if you know have you ever considered what the future might be at any point in your future would you, <laughs> you, you so just the heaven and hell things just out of the question for you. It's not out of the question, but it is a very very small minute part of Christianity in my opinion. See, I, I, th- I that and that is a very fundamental difference then. Because yeah, for me, sure. because for me, I think of the time on this earth compared to eternity. That this is this is a blink of the eye. I mean, now trust me. It, when I went to Kings Island and spent uh, you know ten hours there when I was a kid, that ten hours was pure bliss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like whoa, whoa! This is like oh my gosh! I cannot believe we've been here for ten hours at Kings <laughs> Island, which is a local amusement park, by the way. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, <laughs> and, and dude, let me tell you, when I remember the week leading up to King, going to Kings Island as a family, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, King, that's never gonna get here. You know, that right. whole week was like a, right. an eternity to me. Yeah. And then the day at Kings Island is just like, whoa. And the entire next year after that, I, I was just like, I was glowing from the experience sure. of going to Kings Island as a kid. But sure. I look back at 36 years old now and I look back at the time. It's like, dude, that was just one day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's nothing. There's a drop in the head. It's like I I just barely remember little right. glimpses yeah. and pieces of that. Well, I say focus on attorney when you're there. <laughs> and and the other issue that I have with it is 90% of the time it's used as fear. It's used as a fear technique because 90% of the people in this world are scared of death. They don't know what's going on afterwards. Well, and they that, don't believe anything or whatever else. And I think that that's, that's another think, issue that's behind it is, is, is it's a fear technique. It's a fear tactic to get people converted. And I have I, issues I, with that. I just disagree. I, I think that maybe some people use that. But I, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, well, for me, for one, I was afraid of death. Right. I I was terrified of death. Right. And I'm glad somebody asked me that question one day. And you know what? I I didn't understand it when I was younger and and it didn't convert me then. But you know what? There was a time when on December 9th, 1991, that that I felt alone and I, you know, I it was horrible. And and the question is, you know, will I always be alone? And what's going to happen if this what's going to happen if that? Yeah. And, and, and you know what, eventually one point, you know, the fear of uh, being alone, the fear of not being connected to God, the fear of death, mm-hmm. the fear of, of what life and eternity might be like without a relationship with God, it started to get to me. Right. And because of that, I decided I do not want to spend an eternity without God. And if I were to die tonight, I want to go to heaven. Right. And that was a very clear motivator for me. And yeah, it was, it was, I'm glad somebody asked me that question on multiple occasions through my life. And I'm glad that, you know, that, that, you know, am I saved? Yes. I want the assurance of a relationship with God. I want the assurance of salvation. Not that I wasn't saved before then because I wasn't saved until December 9th, 19, in, in an evangelical worldview of what saved means. Uh, no. I wasn't assured of my salvation until I, I, until December 19th, uh, or December 9th, 1991, I was 18 years old. 
But I firmly looking back now, I believe that if I would have died when I was nine years old with my understanding of who God was, my belief in him, my belief in Jesus Christ, and and the the amount of relationship that I had with Christ all the way up through that point, I believe that if I would have died back then, that that I I was probably gonna go to heaven. It, it right, it's not right. that I wasn't saved then, but on December ninth, nineteen ninety one, I made a decision that that I I felt was an assurance of my salvation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure, of course. But the but the question, you know, for me, I and and from that point forward, I will tell you, I do not fear death. Right. No, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do not fear death because if I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven or hell? Is a huge question for me, mm-hmm. and the answer for me is not hell. Yeah. And that's a huge question. And and that's a very big part of Christianity because that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time. Right. With God is in an eternity. Yeah, and I'm not saying that that's not a, a part of Christianity. I just think it should not be emphasized. And Richard, if <laughs> we've got a lot of great conversations going on in the, yeah. in the chat room here, um, um, uh, let's see. <laughs> Number one, Tess wants to see more discussion on this difference. Is what she said. But, um, but uh, M- uh, Richard says, life now or life after death. I am saved. I'm being saved, and I will be saved. We need all three of the above, not just one. I agree. And then Nation says he disagrees. I am not being saved. I am being transformed or molded. Oh, I, I would even agree with that Which further is, clarification. But yeah. I, I think I, I think the intent of the of the wording was the same, even though the technical wording may have been. Sure, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think well, they're really saying quick. The same I want thing. to give a teaser for next week. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Um, in 2042. Uh, the U.S. Census report in 2008 revealed that minorities, now roughly one-third of the U.S. population, are expected to become the majority in 2042, with the nation projected to be 54% minority in 2050, and by 2023, minorities will comprise more than half of all children. What does that have to say about our churches and about the Christian faith? I would love to talk about that. And if you have questions or comments about that, if you want to call in, you can do so by calling our listener line at area code 859-795-4067. And of course, if you don't have free unlimited long distance on your cell phone, you can call us toll free at area code 1-800-757-1158. Again, that's 800-757-1158. So buy your saving. saving. Turn or burn, people. Come on. <laughs> I love you. That's awesome. Oh, goodness gracious. And uh, do listen to Praxis Podcast episode 37 because we kind of went into a little bit of about judgment and salvation and yep. how that stuff happens. So it's good. It's all good stuff. Well, folks, thank you for listening to another episode. And, of course, we do ask you to remember to pray for another church in your area that is not your own. Yes. And uh, let's do that. And, of course, if you want to find out how you can... Uh, Help support the content that we're producing here, yeah. uh, not just in the About the Church podcast, but the other 19 shows that we produce over at gspn.tv. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see a list of our shows at gspn.tv slash shows. Right. And to, and to talk about that a little bit, I just, if, if you've been feeling like your life is just a little bit out of whack, Cliff is doing something that, that uh, has potential to change the world. And, uh, and I just want to tell people to, to go to practicingabalancedlife.com. Pursuing. Uh, pursuingabalancedlife.com. Um, find out more about that. It's, it's, it's really unique, and I want you to check it out. So We did a uh, roundtable panel discussion last night. Oh, yeah, last night. Did you? 13 people on the call and uh, some folks who have 
uh, basically determined that, hey, I'm, I'm on the bandwagon. I want to start making my goals tonight. Uh, somebody was going to go out and walk for the very first time for their pursuing a balanced life wow. last night. And cool. other people who are sharing their stories and encouragement. Cool. Awesome. And yeah, thank you. Pursuing a plus a ba- member too. Yeah. And, that. And, and so if you want to learn how you can support some of this stuff, um, the, the greatest way to do that is, and it's, and it's, if, if we all get involved, it's, it, it makes it a whole lot easier and it's very inexpensive. You can find out over at gspn.tv slash plus. And uh, you can learn about Plus Membership. You can listen to some audio testimonials there. You can follow DG on Twitter. His Twitter ID is um, twitter.com slash argon52, A-R-G-O-N-5-2. I'm twitter.com slash gspn. I'm now facebook.com slash Cliff Ravenscraft. And I'm I'm argon52 on Facebook. There you go. And at at Praxis Podcast, at the Guys Podcast, at GSPN. Everywhere, man. We're everywhere you want to be. Visa. Love y'all. Visa. Visa. I don't. (laughs) Bye, y'all.